This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, not busy with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be happy. Let none deceive another or despise any beings in any state. Let none, through anger or ill will, wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the sky and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to false views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Okay, Let's see if I can turn up the sound here. Okay, all right, so any suggestions for tonight's uh, brief introduction talk? <laughs> Here we go, this is your, your big opportunity to see you uh, Okay, there's one person I can see. Gloria. Is that Gloria? Gloria. <laughs> uh, yes, can you talk about non-self? Ooh, non-self, that's a pretty deep one. <laughs> Non-self. Mm. Um, okay. That's a pretty deep topic. <laughs> uh. Are you comfortable with this topic? Oh, yes, yes. I, I mean, I'm just 
seeing where I want to start. <laughs> I think uh, one of the teachers, Bhante Gunaratana, Bhante G from the U.S., I think he said something about an onion where there's, uh, it goes on with an eye in the middle. It goes on and on with an eye in the middle. So there's uh, the onion, when you peel the onion, there's a, you know, when you, you look at the layers, you peel, you peel, and then you end up with nothing in the middle. So, <laughs> so that's sort of, I don't know why <laughs> that came up to mind, but um, so it's more practical, you know, it's uh, less theories and, you know, I'll, I'll get to the theories part, but, you know, we, we think we have the sense of self, the solid entity. Um, Whenever, you know, we do things, that's when the self uh, manifests itself. So the more things you do, the more you will, um, the more um, titles you have on yourself, you know, uh, achievements, you know, like certificates and, you know, uh, job titles, you know, uh, university degrees and stuff like that. That's, that's, that's part of the self. That's, we accumulate things physically and, and um, you know, uh, non-physical things. So the physical things, I would say, you know, you own a house, you own a home, uh, you have kids, you have a husband. Uh, anything else that the more you have, the bigger sense of yourself is. Um, you have, uh, you know, a, a bachelor's degree, master's degree. Uh, you know, PhD, you're, you're a CEO, you're, you're an engineer, you're a doctor. Uh, those are the layers, layers of the onion. So those are the layers that you peel off. And the less you have, like the monks, that's what we're doing. We're giving up things. First, we give up the physical things. We give up our home. Um, you know, we, we go off into the forest. We give up our family and relations to the you know, some extent, not completely yet. Uh, we have few possessions. We don't have money. Um, we share, uh, we, we have our own, we don't really own anything in the monastery. We have to move uh, huts every two years. So we don't, you know, we can't just stay there and go, oh, this is my hut. You, you gotta keep moving. And then even the robes and the bowls we have, that's the very simple, that's pretty much we, all the stuff that we really own. We have our robe and a bowl and sort of medicine and food require, um, provided by the lay people. And because we give up so much as a monastic, we feel very light. We feel very happy. You would think, oh yeah, giving up those things is so hard, you know. At first, yes, it is true. It's, it's very difficult to give up your attachments. But when you do, it's like, having a heavy backpack on your, your, uh, your back, carrying around a lot of things in there. And the more you, you, uh, put, you throw things out of your backpack, it becomes much lighter. And then what do you get from that? You, you get the lightness. You get the happy feeling of not having burdens on you. We don't have a car to look after, a house, mortgage to look after, um, you know, no bank account to look after. All these things that we in the world think that it's normal or, or it's needed, when you throw it out, 
you feel much better. The, the more simple you live, the less things you have, it actually makes you a lot happier, the lighter, less burden on your, your mind, and a lot of pressure, a lot of stress on you. And we don't, most of the time, we don't realize this in our life because we've been conditioned in a certain way to live a certain way by our parents, by the society, what they expect of us. They expect us to, you know, have a house, have a car, be successful, have a nice job, you know, have a wife, have children. See, all these things are actually burdens on you, but, but some, most people don't realize the more you have, it's more burden. So this non-self thing is, is not as simple as you, uh, it sounds if you talk about theory, but in a practical level, those are what the self takes, what the things that you own, that's what the self does. It owns things and it accumulates, it hoards stuff. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's what the self does. But if you uh, remove those things, slowly, slowly, like the onion, layer by layer, the physical stuff, and then also the mental achievements that you think you have, you give up those things. And over time, as a monk, the, the sense of self weakens. And by, by my own experience, that's what happens. Over time, your sense of self gets smaller and weaker. And then that's very difficult. It doesn't like that. It's, it's because of the rules and the lifestyle that the monk live. It's very constraining to the sense of self. But you can see over time that living a monastic life, you actually get very more and more happy over the years. And I question myself that. I go, oh, why am I feeling so happy as my monastic life progresses? And it seems like the sense of self is diminishing. The will, the controller, the doer is, is weakening. It's very weak now. It's, it can't control as much anymore. And that actually makes you so much happier. Yet it's difficult to understand if you haven't done it yourself. So that sense of self is mainly the doer from my point of view. The person controlling, doing. I am meditating. I am the meditator. I meditate. You know, a lot of, that's what I used to do. And also even now, you think you're doing the meditation. You're in control. You sit a certain way. You tell yourself, oh yeah, I have to sit a certain way. I have to watch the breath and I need to do something. That's the doer. That's the sense of self. But actually, if you just don't do anything, which is very hard to do, <laughs> and you just sit there and don't do anything, meditation actually happens all by itself all naturally. And then and then you wonder why you actually the you're interfering with the meditation by doing something. But it's very tricky and refined. It's sometimes you don't realize you're actually doing something, but actually you are doing something. And I catch myself doing that a lot. It's like I don't know, it's um, it's a tricky one. It's like you you want to do the meditation. So in that sense, that's where the self lives in the controlling, the owning. And if you can just understand that part of it, when you meditate and you let go of that will, that controller, then you sort of understand what the self is. And then to let go of that self, the controller, then you can kind of understand what non-self is. The non-self is the non-doing, the non-striving. And that's what causes stress in, in our modern world. You're, in life in general, the controller, the, 
the one that's stressing over things and having anxiety and fear, that's where, where it comes from, the self. And when you reduce that sense of self, by relaxing, putting things down, meditating, then you feel a sense of freedom. And that freedom is this freedom from that sense of self, of the, the doer, the, the, you know, the controller. And, and that, in that way, you have a little bit of sense of what the self is, uh, what non-self is, actually. So you, you know what the self is, and you know what, when it's not there, what non-self is. So that's a more practical way in my experience, and I don't want to get too deep into the, the theories of it because I haven't really experienced those things in myself, so I don't, I don't want to talk about what the sutta said about non-self. But in my experience, that's, what, that's how you get to non-self. That's what, what the self and the non-self is about. It's basically this body and this mind is not um, a person, or someone, someone in there. There's no person in here. And it challenges you to the core because, you know, for most of us, we like having a sense of self. We like to do something. We like to be. And to have a no, no one in there is, is very, very difficult to, um, to accept. And not, not, not in an intellectual level, but in an emotional and, you know, level. It's, it's, it goes to the core and the heart of things. And uh, that's my, uh, my, uh, my take on the, the sense of self. <laughs> Oh, excellent, Venerable. Thank you very much. Now we have another couple of uh, topics here for you. Sure. Is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Okay. Uh, the one, we have two topics for you. The first is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Okay, that's the next one? For yes, forgiveness, okay. Forgiveness, I can sort of tie it in with non-self. So forgiveness is letting go of the control of the doer, of, of who you think you are, and sense your judgment of things. To let that go, then the forgiveness will also go, come up. Forgiveness is letting go of something. Forgiving means forgiving of the anger or whatever that you felt that was un. You know, you, someone did something bad to you or let you down, disappointed you. And then you stick, you, you have that idea, that, that concept. And then maybe they did do that. It's, you know, they did do something bad to you. You know, you know they cheated on you. But the thing is, the sense of self likes to grab onto that concept and go, oh, this person needs to be punished. I need to get this person back. And he can't be trusted anymore. You know, I, I, I got to, like, have distance from that person. I have to, you know, watch myself. But on a deeper level, if you let go of your sense of self, and, which is your ideas and stuff of what happened, then that leaves that, that also you can let, let go and forgive other people. And if you also meditate on it, it doesn't really help you by... Um, attaching to, the, let's say the person did hurt you, but it doesn't really help you by keep dwelling on that. It, 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 dwell, it feeds the negativity in your own heart. So it's sort of like building up these negative 
emotions and stress within you. So you're actually harming yourself. They might cause something. They might harm you once. They might have did something bad to you, really bad, one time. But if you keep remembering that and feeding that, they're hurting you over and over again. You keep, keep on hurting you every time you remember that. Then you're actually hurting yourself now. They hurt you once, but then now you're hurting yourself many, many more times when you remember that. And you want to like, oh, I'm going to protect. I need to remember this because I want to protect myself. And then, you know, we have all these justifications of why we should hold on to that, which is fair enough. But if you have some wisdom, you would understand that, you know, you're more happy letting that go and focusing on the positive, which will give you more energy, more, uh, more kindness in your life. And not only that, if you're negative, most people are not going to want to hang out with you. Most of your friends are going to start leaving because you're like, oh, this person, they're always complaining about that, that incident that happened months ago. They keep dwelling on it and getting angry and keep telling me that. And if you do that to all your friends, you know, they're not going to want to hang out with you after a while. They go, oh, this person is negative. <laughs> so, you know, it's this, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so this is just like Ajahn Brahm would say, you know, if you hold on to shit, people are not going to want to hang out with you. Because <laughs> you stink. <laughs> you smell. No one's going to want to be around you. <laughs> so it's just, it's not like, you know, it's not saying like, you know, something didn't, someone didn't let you down. It's just being more wise about what, what the, what, what, how do you deal with that situation. You know, you can learn from it and be a better person from that. Somehow learn from it. Instead of like, you know, like Ajahn says, he dig in the shit into the mango tree. You know, dig it in and then mango grow and, and you get sweet fruits out of it. Instead of bringing in the house and, you know, <laughs> making everyone else unhappy in your own home. You know, your, yeah, your spouse or anything your parents and family. That, that's not a very wise person, basically. Okay, that's, that's about forgiveness. <laughs> and the picture of, of Ajahn Brown's um, statement is probably with me for a while, Ajahn. Okay. Thank you very much. We have one more here, and um, it's probably got nothing to do with the image that you've cultivated, but gratitude. Oh, gratitude. Gratitude is, is the opposite of these, um, the fault finding and, you know, it sort of goes with forgiveness. So we focus on the positive, as Ajahn Brahm says, we water the flowers, not the weeds. So we, when we build up these positive emotions, those negative ones don't have space to grow, just like the weeds. So gratitude is great because it, it kind of helps you become more appreciative and be more into the moment. If we're not appreciative and neg negative, we tend to kind of like dwell on the past or the future. We fly, our mind goes off somewhere else, fantasies, dreams, um, you know, go watch, t go online to watch some videos or TV and basically distract ourselves because we're not content and we don't have gratitude for what we have in the present moment. So when we're gratitude for the, 
things that we do have, our home, our spouse, our children, uh, you know, all these things that we're, we kind of like forget because we're focused on something else, maybe a problem at, at work. So then we kind of miss what, what's going on in the present moment, which we have all these nice, beautiful friends and family here. So in gratitude, we, we focus on what we have. Oh, it's so great that we have so, you know, Tuesday meditation here on uh, the Amadeo group. So much good people coming together and, you know, learning and meditating together. And I used to do that. I look forward to, uh, you know, the meditation classes every week when I was a lay person. And, and when you think about those beautiful things that you have in your life, your wife, your children, your your parents, your, all those beautiful qualities that you're blessed with, then your meditation will take off much more easily and your mind doesn't run off, you know, thinking and all this crazy stuff. So those are the, the positive things that we should cultivate, like gratitude, like contentment, like kindness. Um, yeah, letting go. and These are the qualities that these are the qualities that make our meditation uh, take off and become beautiful. The one that makes the mind become still because uh, we want to hang out with each other. Because most of the time when you have problems meditating, when you sit down and then the mind doesn't want to hang out with you, it doesn't like you. It, it tends to run off to the future or the past because you're not kind to the mind. You don't have gratitude towards it. So when it sees you, it starts running off right away. It's like, oh, it's him again. It takes off, <laughs> runs off to some fantasy or dreams or some kind of thinking. But, but if you're kind to your mind and you just treat your mind as like, uh, like the medicine says, your only child, and you just accept your, your mind as it is, you don't try to control it. You don't go, oh yeah, you, it's time for meditation. You have to meditate now and sit up straight. And you know, you're, you're not paying attention. What's, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and then, you know, when, when the mind sees that, it just totally runs off. <laughs> and then you wonder why, oh, why, how come the, my mind isn't so calm? Because you're not kind. You're not, you're not being kind to your mind. Thank you. Tony would like to unmute herself, himself and speak directly to you. Tony, would you like to unmute? Thank you. Chris, um, Venerable, thank you. Venerable, one of the things that I seem to be struggling with more and more these days is the intrusion of government rules and regulations on, on our lives. In Australia, I don't know what it's like everywhere else. Um, do you have any advice on, on how we should deal with, um, you know, with uh, intrusion or, and control? Uh, I, I'm not really explaining it very well, but hopefully you understand what I'm getting at. Yes, yes, I think I do notice that also. Um, for myself, you know, I'm uh, I'm on a visa from the U.S. to stay here, and then the visa regulations have been getting much harder and tighter now, and it's not as easy as before to 
you know, apply for permanent residence in the uh, Australia. And because the reason why that is because people have been abusing uh, the system. They've been not using it correctly and just trying to get into the country and not, not really uh, living up to their bargain of the, their end of the deal. So I'm not sure how the world is coming together these days, but it, it seems like there's lack of trust in the world now. Um, there's you know, honesty and, you know, qualities like honesty and uh, straightforwardness doesn't seem to be very uh, prominent in the world anymore. And that whenever someone is not honest and abuses the system, then it ruins it for other people. So it's, it makes it life a lot more complicated and hard actually because so much rules and regulation just to do a simple transaction. You know, you have to get all this paperwork and all these IDs and to prove who you are. And, you know, that, that, that's quite unfortunate because it, for one thing, it wastes a lot of time. And, and it also costs, um, makes everything cost more because you have to go, you know, pay people to do all these jobs to make sure that the people are honest. So I guess, I guess morality or sila is important in Buddhism because if everyone was kept, were kept keeping their precepts, you know, being truthful and kind and not cheating one another, then the world would be easy. There would be less rules, and we can trust one another. If someone says they're going to do what they're going to do, you can trust them without having to sign a contract, you know, or you know, making sure they'll live up to their words. And that would save time, money, and also, you know, people are less stressed and more happy in the world. If people just were able to keep the five precepts, you know, more, it would be much more better world, much much more, just to keep the five precepts. Is that simple? So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. Uh, available. Uh, I think that you'd like to do a couple. Would you like to start the meditation? Yes. Okay. So, let's see. I'm gonna switch the lights real quick. Make it more dim. So. More meditative. Okay. Is it okay now? Yes, it is. Okay, I had to move because I had to turn the light. Um, but yeah, so just get into a very comfortable position in your favorite chair or cushion. Um, adjusting your clothing, your belt. I will do that now for myself. We'll sit about 30 to 40 minutes. So. Once you're in your favorite position for meditation, just give it some time and relax the body.
just kind of like do a little bit of body sweep and noticing how you are sitting the position of your feet and leg how does that feel Feeling your buttocks against the bottom of the chair or cushion and how your back is aligned, your lower back going up to your lower back. Shoulders, relaxing your shoulders if it's tight. Give it some time on your shoulders. There. Usually, that's where all the tension resides in your shoulders. Now moving up to your neck. And relaxing that. Balancing balancing your your head in a way that's comfortable. So you balance your, your neck and head in such a way that's that's not tight. Comfortable, relaxed, and not tight. to your face, see if there's any tension, and relaxing your facial muscles, give yourself a big smile.
let it be. Now also relaxing your arms, giving your arms some attention, moving down to your elbow. Moving down your elbow to your hands, your wrist, and placing your hands in a way that's comfortable and appropriate. Now you just do a double check, making sure the whole posture your leg and whole body is nice and comfortable and in a posture that you can hold it for about 30 to 40 minutes. And just putting the body down and parking it just like when you park your car and leave it alone. So now it's time to, is a time for resting, putting down the burdens of the day, put down the past, whatever happened to you today, you can pick it up later after the meditation, imagining it's on your left hand, P-A-S-T. It's like a bag, a shopping bag with PST, AST on it, and you just place it, put it down on your left side. Ah. And you feel a little bit lighter now, putting down the burden of the past. Feel how light that is. Now you've put down something heavy. Ah, how does that feel? And that's also part of your sense of self, the non-self aspect. The past has been let go of. You feel lighter.
whatever's going to happen tomorrow, the future, you have the future on your right hand in a shopping bag, F-U-T-U-R-E, and slowly put down the bag of the future mentally imagine that ah ah feels good Now, what's left is the present moment. How do you feel? Is there any tension? Any stress? In the present moment? And so, we be kind to the present moment. We're not trying to change what's happening now. You might be tired, you might have a headache, you might be stressed, you might have your heart might be beating very fast. You might be very tight. Be kind to that. Care for whatever's happening now. caring, we're not trying to cure it, we're not trying to get rid of it, we're open, accepting, gentle, to whatever is happening.
You could feel the body and the mind it's settling down, relaxing little by little.
So we're coming close to the end of the meditation. How do you feel? Settle down. It's calmed down to a certain degree. Closer to stillness, peace. That is the flavor of the Dhamma. Savor it. It's a delicious taste of freedom. And feel your body now. You notice that it's much more lighter and delightful. So it's light, it feels very calm, cooling, stress-free, much more healthy compared to before. And so, I will ring the gong three times and we can slowly come out of the meditation. Please take your time to allow the senses to turn on again. First time about a month we said the dong of the dong. Can you hear it? Can you hear the had a beautiful a beautiful sound it is indeed. Okay. I'm gonna turn on the lights now. In 
people, would you like to continue taking comments and questions, or would you like to... Yeah, sure. If there's any questions, I'll take them. If not, then I'll talk about something. May I? Yes, please. USA, okay. <laughs> Hi, this is Martha. I Hello. was wondering, and first of all, I'm so grateful for your practice and for te teaching us how to do it. I'm so grateful and I admire y'all so much. Um, is there any way, can you remember or do you have some wisdom on, um, uh, let me write, I'll take notes so I can remember it. If I write it down, I'm more likely to remember it. Um, we're talking about non-self and doing nothing is really how to get there and having nothing. That comes the cat with the bell on. Um, and the self diminishes, I got that. It totally makes sense to me. Is there any way? Let me just say this. I went berserk when I got homeless and unemployed. I, my mind went berserk, literally berserk, because it had nothing to do. And um, I was just yesterday thinking about a life without purpose. And I don't know if you could speak to that, the balance in, in, in the Western world or in the, you know, when one is not, when one is a lay person, how does one balance that uh, making one's way with purpose? Because I can't live without purpose in life. Mm -hmm. Anyway, does that make sense with, with you know, the, the non-self and um, doing nothing? I went literally went berserk mentally. Went almost went crazy when I went home when I was homeless, okay. partially due to fear because I had mm. no health care and uh, no shelter mm. and uh, no retirement, which is a future thing, but just the basic day to day stuff. But in part two, I, I literally just like I had never not worked before, never. I mean, I always did chores when I was in school, and then I also worked when I was in high school, college, and graduate school. And then I volunteered when I worked. So when I was homeless and unemployed, my mind, I learned a lot about meditation. I meditated a lot, but it was not enough in this world. I did try to come over and, not here, but go into a monastery, but I wasn't able to do that due to debt. But could you speak a little bit to the mm. modern question of how to balance your know, purpose in doing mm. with non-self and uh, just being? Right, right, being. okay. So, uh, being homeless like yourself is not the same as being homeless as a, a monk. <laughs> it's a slightly different. <laughs> so we're supposed to be homeless ones, you know, Anagaricas. As a monk, we uh, renounce the home life and then go into the monk life. But uh, as a monastic, we are supported by, you know, our lay supporters. So it's slightly different. We have definitely have a purpose, have a goal, and have rules and structure in what we're doing. So the Buddha laid down the Vinaya, the rules of the monks, and the Dhamma, the teachings, and the four assemblies, monks, nuns, lay people, lay women, lay men. So he did have a structure for us to work with. It wasn't, it's not just like, 
you know, randomly you just kind of end up homeless and not knowing what to do in your life. So in that sense, it's different from, you know, the homeless that you're talking about. So as a monk, we have a purpose. We have a, a path, the Eightfold Path, and we are heading towards a goal that we sort of have a, a, a kind of emotional feeling for it. We don't know 100% what that is, what is Nibbana, um, you know. A lot of tradition says, you know, Nibbana is a place, but uh, in our tradition, Nibbana is not a place. Nibbana is a cessation of all things that we know, of all phenomena. And that's very difficult to accept, even for myself. Intellectually, I might know what Nibbana is like, but to experience Nibbana is totally something else. And uh, you have to do it gradually, little by little, and the cessation of things, the giving up of things. And you sort of, everyone can kind of have a feeling for that by giving up possessions, you know, certain things in your life. And you can sort of feel, if you give up certain things, you feel much lighter and happy. Um, you know, you have less possessions, less things to worry about and look after. And that's sort of like you're going on the path in Nibbana. Everyone is sort of somewhere, you know, on the path. If you're, you're, you know, you're here listening to the monks. So we're, we're sort of starting where we, we, where we can. So some people have renounced much more. Some people are just starting out. And meditation is also part of that letting go of the, uh, you know, uh, of the self, which is non-self. So when we're meditating, we're giving up um, the five senses. We're letting go of the senses. Um, so we, we close our eyes and our, our sense of sight eventually disappears after a while. That's a pretty easy one to let go of. Um, smell and taste is fairly okay. Another easy sense to let go of when you're meditating. I see what's the uh, other two. There's uh, the touch, the body. Mm, it's fairly okay. You sit after a while and you relax the body to the max and then the body slowly disappears. The hand starts to go usually for me. You can't really feel it anymore. And then the rest of the body, the arms, and slowly, slowly, slowly it fades out. And then there's sounds. That's more distracting if you can hear sounds. But even that, after a while, if you're in a quiet place, the sound fades into the nothingness. And then there's the mind. There's the thinking. There's that, that's, that's a more difficult one to let go of. The thinking mind, going to the past and the future. And you put those down, and then you content and happy and kind to the present moment, like we did today. And you're accepting, embracing, and that slowly, slowly also becomes still. The mind, the thoughts, if you're kind to it, it becomes quiet, peaceful, and still. And that's the fading away of the 
first the body, the five senses, and even the mind slowly disappears, slowly comes to stillness, comes into samadhi. So it is a path of letting go, letting go of the self, letting go of things. And then you notice how happy you are when you're when things fade away, when you're in meditation and you feel light and bright and energized after. And you realize this letting go of the sense of self, we're actually doing it ourselves without really realizing it. We go, oh, what's this sense of self? It's so hard to understand. But yet we do it every week on Tuesday. We're letting go more and more as we meditate. And the more we meditate, the more sense of self is let go of. And you're more happy. You're, you realize, oh, this, this sense of self is actually a burden. <laughs> the bigger sense of self that you have, the more suffering you have. It's, more, it's a bigger target for suffering to, to land on. It's like a, a canvas, a paint, paint canvas. The bigger the canvas, the more paint can go on there. So the more bigger self, the more suffering can go on there. <laughs> the smaller the self, the less suffering. The less suffering can go on the canvas. Sorry? That is very helpful. In fact, you said something earlier, right before the medical maybe Yeah, while, while, while guiding the meditation, you said leave the body alone. And my mind is so busy, unless I sit for a long time, uh, that I have to use an anchor to the breath. And so at some point I went into, you said, because park the car, like you park a car, leave your body alone. Just put it in park and leave the body alone and have a hard time with that. But um, I started off, you know, leave. I was hearing your voice, leave the mm. breathing in. Mm. Leave. Then there's the space, the and then out breath, body, alone. And then while I was doing that, I noticed in terms of um, technique, I freak out about the fact there's just a blip in between the in breath and the out breath, but a long space between the out breath and the in breath. Do I need to worry mm -hmm. about my ability not to see that very well? Because I have a nice long spaciousness, stillness, deepness going back between the out breath and mm -hmm. the in breath, but it's just a Flip, flip right there if I'm letting the body go. Yeah, there's no problem. Just let that be. If, if that's what's happening, then just kind of like let it be and be kind to it. You don't have to try to change it or do anything. Thank you so much. Very helpful. Thank you. <laughs> Come back and teach us in America sometime. <laughs> okay. I'm, I live in California, so. <laughs> right. If we have anybody else who'd like to make a comment or ask a question, please feel free in the chat or unmute yourselves. Venerable, I've just got a quick um, observation that I'd like to share with you. Okay. I'm currently in Ventian in Laos, and today I visited a school with over 500 students run on principles of virtues. Yeah. Virtues. Uh, 
Now, one of the things that impressed me the most was the tuck shop or the food shop for the students where they could buy some little things to eat in their breaks. Uh, it was run on an honesty system uh -huh. where students just simply uh, checked the price, left their money and took their change. And I thought, what a wonderful system to operate for 500 students. Wow. Um, <laughs> earlier about regulators regulating the regulators and the absurdity of this system. So I would wonder if you'd like to make further comment. That's great. You see, um, if people did that, that would save a lot of money from, um, you know, the cashier or the machine that does all that. And, you know, if we're, everyone was honest, we would save actually a lot of costs in the school or wherever um, the place is. So, you know, I think Ajahn Brahm said that, you know, Buddhism is good for the economy. <laughs> It's good for the economy because Buddhist monks, you know, um, teach morality and praise it and teach the benefits of it. And so Buddhist monks make a tremendous contribution to society, even though, you know, some people say, you know, we don't do anything. We just stay in the monastery and meditate and just eat the food that people bring us. But actually, we do contribute back to the to the world, to the community, of, and share what we learn in meditation. And these, these, these wisdom is very profound and very hard to, to get anywhere else. You know, if you don't practice, you don't have the opportunity, then, you know, it'd be very superficial if we don't have monks and nuns that are actually doing it in the modern world. It would just be the books, and that's not very inspiring. People can really tell if someone's been practicing or they're just kind of like, you know, a good talker. Because it comes from the heart. So, that's, that's, that's great that, I, and I, you know, that you're experiencing that there, Chris, that uh, you're in Laos right now, is that right? Laos? I am in Laos, in Laos yes. Yeah, so, okay, so that's what's happening in Laos. The 500 students is in Laos? Yes, they are okay. they're run by um, meditators. The uh, two individuals who run the school are both meditators. And they believe that um, in helping students understand virtues is more important and it's the first step before they start teaching the curriculum. That's great. That's great to see, you know, elsewhere in the world that people are practicing and applying these principles and, and they work. And that's how we make a better world, by actually practicing these principles ourselves and be examples to others. And that's how we change the world, not through policies and politics and rules, but through meditation, through practice, putting in the practice. Thank you, Venerable. We do have a last point for that you might like to comment on. Uh, Venerable, I found it very difficult to meditate at the end of the day, after work. This hmm. uh, is seeking your advice, please. Sure. Yes, definitely. Sometimes uh, I myself feel very tired and busy from a long day, just like today. And, you know, uh, sometimes maybe meditation, sitting down right away, is not the, the approach that you want to do. 
maybe you should go for a nice walk around the park, you know, around the neighborhood where it's quiet, just to give yourself some space from your family and kind of let the mind settle down before you can meditate because it's too coarse at the moment and it, it will not be able to become still very quickly. So have, have a stroll around the park and you know, relax for a couple hours or an hour and then come back to your, um, your place and then do some yoga, you know, do some stretches, you know, that gives you a kind of mindfulness training, you sort of gives the mind something to do, maybe do some walking meditation and then once the, the mind calms down, the body calms down where your heartbeat is slow enough, where you can sit down and then you can, you know, relax the body like what we did today. So it's sort of like a course kind of thing. You have to kind of, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, like a piece of wood. You want to make a, a table out of it. You have to sand it down in different uh, grain of sand, of sandpaper. So you have to, the coarse part has to be roughed out first. And then the more finer sandpaper comes in. And then you, you do the really fine one. And then you do the, the oil paint, the, the oiling and then you dry it. So, so it's a process. You, you have to kind of have some wisdom and understanding of how the body and the mind works. That way you can, you know, treat it appropriately. Because sometimes when you're just after work, you really, your, your heartbeat is going really fast and you've just been drinking a lot of coffee in a day. You're, you're not going to sit down and meditate. That's, that's not going to happen. <laughs> you know? Realistically, it's not going to happen. You just make yourself more frustrated and angry. <laughs> Thank you, Venerable. Christelle, would you like to unmute and uh, make a comment or ask a question? Um, thank you very much. I had a question, but uh, it might be a bit long, so I'll ask next time. Oh, okay. But thank you very much. Uh, that sounds good. Thank you. Yes. And thank you, So, uh, well, Venerable, it's that time again. Okay. Um, would you like to offer us a blessing in Pali? Um, right, no. So I'll give you guys a quick blessing for your health and happiness and your growth in the teachings of the Buddha. Sabaro govini muto Sabasanta pavajito Sava veramati gando Nibuto chatu vambawa Sabitio viva chantu sabaro go Venya satu mate Pawan tuan tarayo Suki deka yugo bawa Abiwa dana silis nani chan Wada pacha ino Chataro dama wadanti Ayuano sukan Balan Have a good night everybody.